Good morning to everyone in the house and everyone who's at the house. And I want you, if you have a Bible, to turn to Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 29, and just hold your place there. For those of you who know the Bible a little bit, you might know that there's a verse in Jeremiah 29. It's one of the top 10 most taken out of context verses in all the Bible. We're not going to touch that one today, probably, but I want you to have Jeremiah 29 ready. And here's what will be a little bit different about this morning. What will be different is we'll have a mixture of music and message. And so we did this a couple of times in the summer when we were exclusively online. So you'll uh, be invited to sing a song of praise and you'll hear a little bit of a sermon. We could call it a sermonette, if you will, but let's look at it this way. There's uh, three points to this sermon, because I'm a good preacher who went to seminary, right? You need to have three points to a sermon. There's three points to the sermon, and it's in three parts. And the title says something about it. We're going to look, I'm going to ask you to look with me this morning at three metaphors. Three metaphors that I hope will be a clarion call to what it could mean for you and I to be a deeper, richer, better faith family. If you're visiting today or visiting online, uh, just relax a little bit and see where we go with this today. But I want to talk to you this morning about the door, the table, and the garden. And if you were in the room on time or tuned in on time, you heard our very own Laura McAlpin lead us as we looked at Psalm 100. Here is the idea behind the door. Don't, don't miss these metaphors this morning. The door based on Psalm 100 that says to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The word there for gate and door is synonymous. The word door has great meaning in life itself in the Bible. From beginning to end, we see stuff about a door or the, the door or doors from the beginning to the end, from Genesis to Revelation. And doors have always in the Bible and in your life and mine, there are two dominant purposes for doors, to let people in or to keep people out. In Genesis 4, it's a keep them out. Genesis 4 says that sin is crouching at your door. Better keep it out. The end of the book, Revelation chapter 3, some of you know this. Jesus himself said, behold, I stand at what? I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to be with you, to have fellowship with you. A word that's deeper and better than anything that we could imagine. And probably most striking and most significant is that Jesus himself said when he was issuing uh, a series of sermons that I've called, joke before, I called it Jesus according to Jesus. When he issued seven I am statements, one of those seven, he said, I am the door. Doors serve two dominant purposes, to keep people out or to let people in. And this morning, you can imagine the metaphor that I want to invite us to is this idea of the door being a place, we are a place, we become more and more a place where we are inviting people in. The photo that you see is a photo that I took with my iPhone. This is not new doors, but if some of you are here, you may have noticed if you came in off Old Canton, you'll see these new high gloss doors. I kind of like them. Our interior designer um, helped us pick these out. But these doors, we hope, will always say to anybody that you are welcome here. The door I want for us to represent for us this fall is a welcome for people to what? To come and sit? To treat this like a religious service, a dispenser of goods and services that have a spiritual nature to them? 
a country club. What are we inviting them to? We're inviting them. We're inviting you to enter these doors, to enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. The door, let it represent for us worship. One of my favorite writers, Dallas Willard, you hear me drop his name a lot. Dallas Willard talks about that we, that we all have a different mindset, but there are two dominant mindsets. He calls a non-worshipping mindset and a worshipping mindset. Let's look at the positive first. A worshipping mindset, he says, has a tendency. Now, I know, you know life is not static. It's kinetic. It's, it, we're always in flux, always on the move. But think about these characteristics from Dallas Willard. When you think about a door, a door welcoming you to be a worshipper of God. The, the worshipping mind has a tendency toward gratitude and wonder, praise and delight. The worshiping mind is open to joy and aware of gifts and sees those gifts as what, they, what we don't deserve, but thus we're so grateful to receive those undeserved gifts. The worshiping mind is, moves toward praise, moves toward delight, and has a sense of expectancy about what God might do. A worshiping mind is humble in themselves, but confident in God. By contrast, Dallard Willard says, a non-worshipping mind feels entitled, is easily irritated, is often discouraged, is cynical and stagnant and critical, is not open and aware of the gifts around them. A non-worshipping mind is anxious about the present, is non-expectant with really little to no anticipation about the future. So the question this morning, if you're in the house or at the house, the question is, what is your tendency? Is your mind presently, is the dominant tendency been toward worshiping or non-worshiping? Here's the invitation. Laura read it. I've quoted it. The door, the gate, the two are used synonymously in the Bible. In John 10, if you read some English translations, Jesus says, I'm the gate. Other translations, I am the door. Same thing in the Hebrew here in Psalm 100. Enter his gates. Enter this door with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Are you a non-worshipper or a worshiper? Consider the characteristics of each. Consider the characteristics of each and what is your natural tendency. There's a lot about worship that we don't get right. So I want us today, I want to call us to a commitment. This is a strange season that we're operating in. Strange is a light word for what's happening with this global pandemic. But in this season, I think there's going to be some things that have gotten or will be gotten confused about what it means to be a faith family, to be a church, and to be a community of worshipers. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 14, about a church that got some things right, but were getting things wrong. If you know 1 Corinthians, you know in chapter 12, he writes and says that we're members of one body. No one is more important than others. We all play a part. How healthy is that to think about that? Everybody can play a part. Folks, we're about to find out in the months and years ahead, is Christianity just a spectator sport? All right? But everybody, we're a body and everybody plays a part and none is more important than the other. Man, you can, sometimes you can smell that when you come in a room. If somebody's inflated with a sense of self-importance, it would typically in a church be a leader. 
I'm more important than you. But 1 Corinthians 12 says no. And because gifts are oftentimes a subject of debate and jealousy and envy, he writes the 13th chapter. I've quoted the 13th chapter at a lot of weddings right here and other places, but it's for a church, a multi-ethnic church. And it's about love and how we should love one another. But in chapter 14, he says, hey, here's some things. We've talked about gifts, spiritual gifts. We've talked about love, but here's some things about worship that we're getting so wrong. And here's what Paul says. Notice in 1 Corinthians 14, you can write it down and look at it later. He says, when you gather for worship, He doesn't say, if you gather for worship. Now, I want to be careful here because six weeks ago, we sent out an email. It came from me. And I said, hey, many of you don't feel safe to come back because because of medical, because of family, because of health, because of personal reasons. You're going to stay away for a while, whether it's a vaccine or just better conditions or something. We get that. We understand that. Some people are ready. Some people are ready. And I hope today some of you, I, I hope all of you experience the sacred blessing of being back in God's house. When we gather for worship, and though we're in strange times, let me drop some truth to you. The church is a people gathered. A people gathered. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord, David said in the Psalms. Hebrews, when the church got things wrong, he says, do not forsake the gathered assembly. Don't, do not forsake that. Jesus himself, the, Dr. Luke, the physician says in Luke 5 that Jesus went to the temple as was his custom. It is in the heart of God that we would be a people gathered when we gather now. So many in this season are probably rightly choosing to be gathered at home. But here's where the stake, I want to put two stakes in the ground when it comes to walking through the door of becoming people who are worshipers, of entering his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. The first idea is this right here, that we will offer wholehearted worship to God. Wholehearted worship to God. Whether you come and you're part of the gathered assembly in person, if the door you walk through is the door I just showed on the screen, one of our physical doors, or if the door is the online door, we want to invite you to be a worshiper this fall, and we want to invite you to do it with wholehearted worship to God. Not half-heartedly, not in a perfunctory way, not out of obligation, not in a cavalier way, but in a wholehearted way. It says in the Psalms, close to the passage that Laura read, it says that God, that we should make his praises glorious. You know, I remember 24 years ago when I started dating this beautiful brunette from out west, I did a lot of things to make it glorious. I made great sacrifices. I paid extra money. I used to drive around in a car uh, in South Florida that didn't have air conditioning. And I went and sold things so I could have enough money to fix the air conditioning of the car to make this relationship glorious. Do you know I was not half-hearted when I was wooing her and courting her, nobody says that anymore, and, and, and ultimately winning her over. I was not half-hearted. My heart was in it. It wasn't a casual thing. Let's make his praises glorious. Church, we can do that. And let me tell you, he is worthy. All of us are worshipers. All of us are worshipers. What are you worshiping? 
And I want to call us to put a stake in the ground to make a commitment that we will offer wholehearted worship to God. There is, I'll say this, it's easier to do that if you're here. So make it a priority to gather with the church. You know that thing that you do a lot that keeps you away from church, that keeps you from worshiping in the gathered assembly? You know that thing that you do? Don't do that at this hour. Choose an hour and come and be a part of it. That work that just engrosses you, put that aside for a Sunday morning worship experience. Those emails that you feel like you need to answer, those children that you want to chase around to different sporting events, say no to that and let God inhabit the praises of his people. We together can make his praise glorious and be on time and engage your heart with us. If you're online, so many are. In fact, the survey showed that more people in this season will be at home online. One of our staff sent this to our team just this past week. How the pastor thinks I watch the live stream and the reality of the live stream. So everybody in the room, you can check out on this one. But those of you at home, all right, here's what we're looking for. We want a little more like this and a whole lot less like this. Anybody in the house, in the room today, anybody guilty of that this summer? Anybody? Yeah. It start, we started strong, didn't we? When we knew we couldn't meet in March, we were like, man, we are gonna, we're going to support our church. We're going to pray for it. We're going to send the pastor a text. We're going to encourage the staff. Lauren's a rock star of this team. Aren't they great, by the way? I mean, aren't they great? And we're going to encourage these people. And we're going we're gonna to invite some people over. We're going to be socially distant. We're going to be careful. But we are going to engage and put our whole heart into it. And then after Easter, a few weeks, it was a little more like this. So whether you're here in the house, I think it'll be easier for you. But make it a priority to be here. Not if we gather, when we gather. And he is worthy. When it says that God inhabits the praises of his people, Psalm 22. Listen, there's nothing like the church when we gather. And even though we've suspended that for 20, 21 weeks, even though some of us are going to suspend that for weeks or months more, it is vital. And let's don't be confused about it. You know, there's a lot of ways information can be disseminated, a whole lot of ways. But there's only, there's only some things that can happen when we are together. And here's what happens when people are gathered together, particularly at a house of worship. Someone, every time, someone has lost a family member or lost something. Somebody is going through depression. Somebody just got a really bad medical report. Someone has been betrayed deeply and it hurts. Some people come and they can't sing. So here's what I'm saying, wholehearted worship. When we gather for worship, there are times when you need to sing for someone who can't sing. And we can, when we are gathered, we can see people. We can embrace people. We can pray for people and we can love people. The first stake in the ground, come into to the door, whether it's online or in the house, come enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. The first stake in the ground, anybody remember, we will offer our wholehearted worship to God. The second commitment that I want us to, the stake I want us to put in the ground is worship will be a way of life, not just an hour a week. You know the trouble in Corinth, if you'll read 1 Corinthians 14, the whole book, but the whole letter, but 1 Corinthians 14, they were looking for an emotional and personally satisfying worship experience. Now, is that inherently wrong and evil? I'm going to say no. You can debate me on that later. Like, I want something powerful to happen when we gather. I want God to do his work among us. And you at the house, I want to see God in a different way 
work there. When it says God inhabits the praises of his people, that means that something can happen uniquely and that's needed when we gather together. But the reverse is true. Do you know that there are things that can happen uniquely that are needed that can only happen in solitude? But both are needed. The door, come, let us enter gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Let's sing. The team is going to sing over you. And we'll come back with the table. When Lionel Richie sang easy like a Sunday morning, he probably didn't have in mind bringing a family with kids to church on a Sunday morning, didn't he? But whether you're gathered with us, whether you've entered these doors, these courts, these gates of praise and thanksgiving, or doing that at home, it's a challenge to rally a family, but it's worth it to be a part of a faith family. The door. Now, the table. Let's talk about the table. The door uh, emanates from Psalm 100, the table from Acts 2. Uh, I love this. Acts 2, 42 to 47. Some of you know this. It's the church when it was early. It's the church when it was optimal. It was the church when it was firing on all cylinders and it was getting it right. Now, they were about to have problems. Of course, they had problems then because they were people. So it's never perfect, is it? But they were firing on all cylinders, Acts 2, 42 to 47. But it says this, if you will, about our metaphor, the table. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Tonight, my family will gather around the table. We don't do it enough. I don't even want to admit how infrequently we do it. But tonight we're going to gather around the table and Susan's going to cook something good all by herself. We really believe God's called her to do that in a very solitary act of servanthood. But Susan will make something and we will sit around a table that's not this one, but looks a lot like this one, uh, lower, but like this one, same guy that built it. But we'll gather because our oldest son goes off to, to for his senior year of college and our daughter goes off for her freshman year of college and we're hoping that the senior guy will look out after the freshman girl. He'll do that, won't he? I think that's the right thing to do. But we'll share time around the table and here's my hope that we will break bread in our home and that there will be, this is always the goal, the, always the goal, there will be gladness and sincerity. Here's the best small group leader training you'll ever get. Keep your eye on the ball here. If you lead a group or aspiring to lead a group, pray that God will give every group meeting, whether you break bread or not. I always think it's better to eat, but that's my opinion. But it's, well, sort of biblical. Anyway, but that you would have gladness and sincerity of heart. Gladness means their joy. and sincerity, it means people are real. And let me tell you, when you're with people and you laugh and you're with people and you're real, you want to come back. Because there's something special. So let me ask you, is gladness high today? Are we doing well right now? Can I just say that the government has told us to quarantine and to shelter in place, and that's a good thing. I think it's been a needful thing. We have postponed worship in person for 20 20 weeks or more, not out of fear, but out of love. Hear me now. But when the government tells us to quarantine and to to shelter in place. You know what? Let me tell you something about human beings. We don't know how to do that. We don't know how to do it. We've never lived through a global pandemic. I see a couple of old people in the room, but we've never, none of us have lived through a global pandemic, right? None of us have. 
And we don't know how to quarantine. We don't know how to shelter in place. And it leads us to isolation and it's killing us. And so one of the reasons we have been on bended knee praying about the essential nature of the church and how we can duel in this, how we can be the church gathered in homes and the church gathered in back, back in God's house and what we can do. Our staff are praying with discernment now. We're having conversations and making plans of how we can produce gladness and sincerity or see God produce that. The gladness is down. You know what's up? Any guesses of what's up? I'll tell you what's up. If somebody asks you, hey, what's up? Tell them anxiety. That's what's up. Now, Fawner Church is blessed with doctors. I had a doctor that I love and admire. I love his walk with God. I love what he does. He said to me in a meeting a few weeks ago, hey, I took an oath for public safety, and I'll do that till I die. And I said, amen, brother, and I have a calling of God on my life. And part of what it means to be a shepherd and a pastor is to call people away from isolation towards community. Proverbs 18.1 in a funny translation says that when you move toward isolation, you spit on the common good. It's not just you that has the need. The world needs you. And the world needs people together around a table that will experience gladness and sincerity. The biblical word for sincerity is translated here in Acts 2 in two words. One is sunlight and one is discern or judge. Stay with me for a second. Sunlight, judge, or discern. In other words, a sincere person is in the light. When you operate with sincerity, we all have pockets of hiddenness. Mark Twain said, we're all like the moon, we have a dark side. But when you walk and step into the light with somebody, with a trusted friend, not just therapy, not just a therapist, not just someone you pay for, I'm a big fan of that, but to live, for you and I to live in community, sunlight and discernment, that's the word sincerity. I'll step into the light And you are able to judge and discern. I am able to judge and discern what's happening inside of me because I'm in the light. It's ironic that our word intimacy is often used for what goes on behind closed doors, darkness, hiddenness. But in the Bible, intimacy actually means sincerity. It means in the light. It means being who you are. So let me drop a needed truth on you today. We often think that it is risky and dangerous to share our struggles. But do you know the truth? It's risky and dangerous, more risky and dangerous to pretend. Because, just dropping some Bible on you, because pretending can be fatal. Oh, we're going to be a pseudo community where we smile and we're polite and we fake fellowship. I'm going to pretend because it's so much safer. Let me tell you this morning, pretending is not safe. First Timothy, we didn't do this when we did first Timothy for six weeks, but first Timothy 5, 24 says there's some sins that they're going, they're going to find you out in time. Some of the sins judge you right then and there. I say this from time to time, four to six times a year, I tell you, if you're a leader, you can't keep a secret. You'll start compensating for that secret. You will be found out. It is riskier and more dangerous to pretend. The first people in the church right after Acts 2 that pretended, do you, know, do you recognize the names of Ananias and Sapphira? 
Anybody recognize this couple? They pretended to be more generous than they were so that people would think more highly of them. Can you imagine that? They pretended to be more generous than they actually were so that people would think more highly of them, and they dropped dead. They dropped dead. Sometimes, can I tell you in love, this may alter your category, some of you, but God is serious about sincerity. God is serious about you and I being our authentic selves. And pretending can be fatal. They gathered around a table with gladness and sincerity of heart. That can be the goal for us. This fall, I want to ask you, in fact, the staff are working. We're working. I've given them a charge to, to think about new ways that people can connect. One of our ideas that we're working on that you're going to hear more about is something we're calling table groups. How many of you are, struggle with commitment? You're not sure. Why would you show up at somebody's house or why would you Zoom? Some of these groups might be Zoom, but some of them will be in person, around the table, mass, socially distant, whatever it might be. But these groups, listen, some of you, you want to try before you buy. Isn't that, isn't that right? You want to try before you buy. So these table groups will give you an opportunity right beginning Labor Day week. And for six weeks, we're going to have a variety of table groups led by our staff. A couple of men's morning groups. There's things that are in the works as marriage enrichment, uh, a financial course to teach you how anybody interested, anybody that needs to learn more about managing money, uh, that, that group will be offered. There will be some things for young adults, some things for women. There will be these table groups, just six weeks. It's an opportunity for you to jump in to experience community and grow toward gladness and sincerity. Here is the goal. Here's what we want to celebrate, that people would move this way from unconnected to connected and then from connected to connecting. We celebrate when someone who's unconnected becomes connected. We celebrate that. And when someone who's connected is involved in connecting others. The table, a place for gladness and sincerity. Quickly, I want to say two other things because Acts 2, as the church evolves, things happen. So gladness and sincerity, if we're not careful and growing in these, they can turn into what we need and the church their groups, as they gathered in homes, as they broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincerity of heart, things started happening. And you know what these people needed? They needed what you and I need. Needed They, they needed warnings and they needed instruction. Can I tell you why Susan and I are committed to being around a table, not just with our biological family, but with our spiritual family. And I'm one of those pastors that wants to gather a group of men in the morning hour for six weeks to see how it goes, to talk about this very thing. But we need warnings. Look at Proverbs 27 and verse 12. It says this, the prudent sees danger and they take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Both see danger, but their response is different. Now, the simple, every time I use the word simple, it's in a positive way because I want you to keep it simple. I've got a library behind me. There's a lot of books about simplicity. But here it's used in a negative way, in a naive or gullible way, in a foolish way. Both the prudent and the simple person see danger, but notice their response. And let me tell you the difference. The prudent person sees all of life as connected. The prudent person connects what's the decision they make now with the future that they could have. But the simple person sees life mostly disconnected. And they're living in the here and the now. 
And we need each other. Beyond gladness and sincerity, we need to be able to give warnings to each other because we need that. Hey, stop. I see your life. I see a decision. I see you going off the rails. I want to tell you, brother, I want to tell you, sister, in love, Ephesians 4, 15, I want to tell you to stop. This can hurt you and it can lead to self-destruction. Look, I have needed that and unfortunately I'm going to need that. And I open my life up for people around the table to give me warning. Also, beyond warning is reminder. Somebody once said it like this, the greatest problems of our mind is not the knowledge that we lack, it's the knowledge that we forget. One more time for the people in the back. The problem, the greatest problem in our mind is not what the knowledge we lack, it's the knowledge we forget. Here's what it says in 2 Peter. It says this, I think it is right to refresh your memory. You and I need to be reminded. Every time I see old men with young men, there's some reminders happening. If this these group of guys are honoring God in their relationships, and they're talking about marriage and finance and sexuality and futures and parenting and faith and commitment and priorities and all these things, we need to be reminded your greatest problem with your mind is not a lack of knowledge. It's knowledge that you forget. It's forgetting. It's why the Bible over and over tells us to remember Ecclesiastes 12.1. 12, remember your creator in the days of your youth. Jesus, do this in remembrance of me. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. We need those reminders. We need our memory refreshed. So around the table, around the table, we experience gladness and sincerity. And around the table, we can experience warning and reminders. We need it. We need to be together around the table. Think about the table. Think about your place at the table this fall. Think about a place that you can create for other people. I'm not just talking to our staff. I'm talking to anybody. We are going to celebrate when the unconnected become connected, and we want to celebrate when the connected become connecting people who connect others. Let's worship. Y'all can even stay standing if you want. I'm going to be fast on the garden. So the, the door, Psalm 100, the table, Acts 2, and the garden, Jeremiah 29. Did anybody turn there? Let me read it for us with my Bible open. Jeremiah 29, 4-7. I usually read from the ESV. This is the NIV. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Verse 7, also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Here's a promise. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, what? If the city prospers, then you too will prosper. Quick, 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 2,700 years ago, Jerusalem, life was good. 
life was good in Jerusalem. There was no coronavirus, no pandemic. They were experiencing, largely experiencing health, wealth, economic prosperity. The people had a temple which symbolized worship. They had a wall that stood for their safety. They had a king. They had to have a king. Everybody had a king. Every nation that's prospered needed a king. But then the Babylonians came along and they were the superpower and they were brutal and they were bloodthirsty and they said, we want to take the people. And they tore down the temple. They knocked down the wall. They deposed at the king. They took, they raped and pillaged and they kidnapped and they took people back. Some of the people of Israel to Babylon and they could not find their footing because in Babylon they did not worship Yahweh they worshiped different gods a plurality of gods namely money sex and power could you imagine living in a world where people worship money sex and power and they could not find their footing they didn't know how to marry they didn't know how to raise children amongst people who didn't worship their God Y'all know, don't you, that we've lost our favored nation status? You guys understand that? Do you understand that we're living more in Babylon today in America than Jerusalem? So when we're having trouble finding our footing, we got to figure that out. And by the way, the church grew its fastest when it didn't have favored nation status, when it didn't have the authorities on their side when people didn't understand why they would want to gather and worship and love people in a crazy, radical, inclusive way. And so the people call out to God, but God, so through the prophet Jeremiah, he speaks to them and to the people, and it's surprising. Their jaws drop. He doesn't say, go in your houses and hide your wife and kids. In fact, he says, build houses and plant gardens. Let me translate. Find a park and spread some mulch. And seek the welfare of the city. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city. And can I tell you what was true back then is true now. I'm not knocking on the suburbs. Man, the suburbs, are that's where it's at. Suburbs are a great place to live. If you live in the suburbs, just don't forget the cities. And if you live in the metro area, don't forget the city of Jackson. And we don't need to run from it amidst all of her problems. If we seek its peace and prosperity, and to the extent that we do, God will grant us the peace and prosperity that is in his heart and his mind. They did it for 70 years. And you know what? God did it to them for 70 years. What's the garden? This means love your neighbor. The garden, I want it to represent for us our city, that we would be in the city for the city. That we would not only look to connect the unconnected and become people that uh, people of connection but we would look for ways to plant and build and not run and hide and not stay in our houses but when there's a problem we would go to that problem and be a compelling people so as we close what could be our garden this fall what could be our garden as we close out a year that almost all of us want to forget what could be our garden in the midst of so much pain and hurt? Who can we add value into their life? Where can we get our hands dirty? You see, as we talk about a door, an actual door or an online door, as we talk about a table, let me just say as we get to the garden part here, the closing part, we are not brick and mortar. We are flesh and blood called to be salt and light, specifically his hands and his feet. Just an idea. I've talked about it for several years now. Here's a picture. 
of um, this is a picture of the gym that we're converting to a community center. And here is a room, a new room, that used to be infested with rodents and stuff. And we knocked down all the walls and we've created spaces. And because giving was so good in 2019, I don't know about 2020, but giving was so good in 2019, we were able to create spaces like this. We cut out a window so light could come in. We cut out windows and we've added exterior lights. If you drive past Fondren Church from Old Canton to State Street, you'll see our campus lit up with lights. It's a beautiful thing. It's for safety and security and for beauty. And it's a symbol that we want to be here and we want to stay here. And that a year or two or ten from now, people won't come here and come through these doors and say, Oh, do you remember this used to be a church? But that we would be through the doors and that we would be around the table. And the gladness and sincerity, the warnings and the reminders would be so real that we would overflow to the garden. So for me, just quick personal testimony, this has been kind of my garden and it's been hard. It's been hard to get it done. It's been hard to acquire it. It's been hard to have the vision for it. It's been hard to raise resources for it. And then we started to get it ready and then this virus came. And so we're chomping at the bit. We're about $50,000 short, maybe $100,000 short. But we've got stuff that we want to do. And with a mission pastor and a student pastor, we are ready to love and bless our city and seek its peace and prosperity. Summer camps and sports clinics and recovery groups and fitness people who can come over to socially distant foster care parties, on and on and on and on. And for me, look, I'm going to get out of the way. I just God's called me to raise money for it and say, go God, do your thing. Chris Mixon. And Van Harden hanging out in the balcony. Leaders like them can lead us to love kids and love this community in ways we've never seen it before. You know when something's harder and slower, you know what that means probably most of the time? That God's ready to do something. And that's my heart with this. Join me. Whether you're here in the house or you're at your house, join us. This is one garden. It's one example of many that we can plant. We are not brick and mortar. We're flesh and blood called to be salt and light, specifically the hands and feet of Jesus.